guys, it's Melissa. Since we're an independent podcast, your support means the absolute world, whether that's on social media, in a podcast review, or a word of mouth recommendation. If you've been enjoying this podcast and would like to take it a step further, I now have a support feature where you can contribute a one-time donation at whichever price you'd like. Click the link in the episode description to learn more. Thanks, guys. Now enjoy the show. The Sisterhood of the Bottomless Mimosa. Rising up back on the street. Did my time. That's all I know. Welcome back to the Sisterhood of the Bottomless Mimosa. Where we drink wine and talk about badass women, and we are back from our early summer break. Our very Welcome. long early summer break. Look, we recorded almost nonstop for like a year and a half, so well earned. That's right. And in fact, the last time we took a long break was last summer, too. So it's, I guess it's an annual summer break for the podcast that we do. That makes sense. Yeah, I mean, the kids get to do it. Why not us? I know. You guys probably thought we were done. You probably thought we forgot. You probably thought we gave up because there's only eight of you, but you don't know us. You don't get us. You can't stop us. <laughs> we probably also have a lot of microphone feedback because we were having massive technical issues today. Yeah, and I got a new computer that cost me $300, and it behaves like it costs $300. So... That was very troubling, just trying to get a podcasting software program to start. Um, so yeah, sorry. Sorry about that. All right. So I guess we should hop in for anybody who's new-ish or recent. So we took a couple of months off. Uh, oh, we didn't introduce ourselves. Hi, I'm CJ. Oh, hey, I'm Melissa. What are you doing here? Oh, my God. We're back. This is literally the exact verbiage we used episode one. Great. It's like we're starting all over again. <laughs> That's how I feel in multiple levels of my life. But, yeah, so we took a couple months off. I, CJ, was traveling a lot. So I went to Minneapolis, which I'd never been to, which was super fucking cute. And then from there, I went to New York City, primarily Brooklyn, which even though I've been to New York a ton of times, I've never been to Brooklyn, and Brooklyn's super cute. If it didn't cost a billion dollars to live there, I would live there. And then I went to Montreal in Quebec, Canada, uh, to Montreal, Canada. Um, And then I got home. I had 12 days to put all of my shit in storage, and then I hightailed it to Denver, where I'm currently pseudo-living. I don't have a lease anywhere. I'm just kind of being a gypsy. But right now, a gypsy that's based in Denver. And that's where I'm recording tonight. Are you officially no longer a resident of Louisiana? Well, technically, I changed my address because I had to. So my mail wouldn't go to my old house. But I still have Medicaid there. It's kind of, like, iffy. I haven't officially changed it. I feel like you're not a resident until you change the billing address on your bank account. Yeah. And I haven't done that yet. So 
But I am probably going to start looking for work in Denver, so I might accidentally live here for a little bit, which is funny because Denver is not a place I would ever pick to live. <laughs> um, but there's also, like, a lot of cool stuff here. It's weird. Denver's a really weird city. Um, it doesn't have, like, necessarily, like, a deep... Like, New Orleans has such a soul to it, you know? And yeah. same with, like, San Francisco. Like, there's just these cities that have, like, a spirit to them. Denver doesn't really have that, but they have infrastructure, and they're sewers can drain themselves unlike in the third world country that is new orleans louisiana so that's super (laughs) exciting um which is a good segue so by the time this posts the weather might have cleared up but as of today today is wednesday the 10th and there literally was a tornado in new orleans today flooding so bad that there were people swimming in the street i literally saw footage of somebody swimming down the street which is disgusting um kayaking down the street and I just want to say like I'm really not trying to be funny but when I moved there two years ago it was supposed to be a crazy hurricane season I told my roommates at the time I was like I have a very protective energy and there's never going to be a hurricane or any crazy tornado shit while I'm in town I fucking said that and then not 10 days after I left tornadoes floods everyone i know is evacuating the city i'm just saying gnarly sorry guys so basically come with me if you want to live that's what i'm saying well definitely don't go to california if you want to live because (laughs) uh we are just inching closer and closer to the big motherfucking beast we had two gnarly earthquakes back to back the first one was on fourth of july and, like, it was, like, the early morning of 4th of July. I think I was, like, brushing my teeth. And, like, it started – I didn't even know that an earthquake was happening. And then my boyfriend was, like, oh, my God, there's an earthquake. There's an earthquake. I'm, like, no, there fucking isn't. And he's, like, <laughs> looking at him, like, what are you talking about? He's, like, sit on the couch. I sat on the couch, and it was like this. It was going horizontal side to side. <gasps> And then the very next day, like 35 hours after, because it was the very next day at nighttime, 8 o'clock, we're all drunk in the brewery, and it fucking hits again. And that time I knew because everything was fucking swinging from the ceilings. And that one lasted even longer, 7.1. I feel It's been so long since I felt one, but they are, for like the first couple seconds, they are kind of fun. I wasn't scared at all, but I think if it had gotten worse and, like, things started falling, I think I would have gotten pretty scared. But nothing fell. It was just a very... It's almost hard to describe because it was such a slow, elegant sway. Like, it wasn't like... You know? It wasn't like a crazy, like, insane, explosive feeling. It was just, like, this gradual swaying. It was weird. I mean, it's been a minute since there's been the big one. The I know. last one was Northridge, I think. Yeah. And that was, what, 94 I think. years ago or whatever? Yeah. So. Just drop in. So don't move to California. Don't move to New Orleans. <laughs> just don't fucking move. Just stay where you are. Yeah, for real. Ugh. But then, like, where is there good? Everything, everybody has something. The North has crazy snow that, like, fuck that. Fuck that. And then the middle of America has tornadoes for days, which and, are, like, like, extra fuck that. hurricanes. Like, Florida and, like, Texas oh, and yeah. shit. Hurricanes are, like, wiping out those fucking towns. And yeah, Then California has also got, like, mass fires. 
and tsunami warnings, which one hasn't happened yet, but... Yeah. I remember a few years ago, there was, like, this Pulitzer Prize-winning article, maybe in the New Yorker, one of those, like, stuffy-ass magazines, but it was really good, and the woman who wrote it, she talked about how, like, pretty much there's going to be one big earthquake that literally cuts off, like, the entire West Coast from the rest of the United States, and it's just a matter of time, and I was like, I mean, doesn't sound too bad, but it would come with a massive tsunami that would kill everybody, so that part would not be cute. Uh, anyway, no. so <laughs> how are you doing in your beach town of Long Beach, California? Yeah, on a lighter <laughs> note, um, yeah, not much has been happening with me. I went on a camping trip. I went to a couple Grateful Dead concerts up in San Francisco. I went to Tahoe, where I saw a gigantic black bear walking in no. the middle of the neighborhood in the middle of daytime. Fuck that shit. <laughs> like on a casual afternoon stroll just walking through the middle of the neighborhood so that was interesting and then i also went to a bachelorette party where i apparently got shit-faced and got kicked out of a bar for literally no clue what reason why like i think i was just like dancing like a wild behemoth and next thing i know they're like you gotta go dang so that was fucked up. Also, how? I don't think I've actually ever been kicked out of a bar. I was just going to ask how many times. I don't think ever. I can't recall one memory in my life where I've been kicked out of a bar. Granted, a lot of those party nights I was living in San Francisco and you can do literally anything in San Francisco. So it's not that surprising I didn't get kicked out of any bars there. I'm still um, kind of surprised, though, to hear that. I've been kicked out of a bar. I got close to getting a kicked out of a bar when I was at an underground drum and bass show in the Mission in San Francisco. And the bartender, like, went in the back to go do something, and I just, like, helped myself behind the bar and started, like, pouring myself drinks. Oh, and I then I started believe. pouring everyone else drinks. <laughs> And, and I got, you out. No, I got caught and he like grabbed me by the shirt and like pulled me out of the back and was like, what the fuck? And then that was it. Wow. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. So my fucking almost 30 year old ass has like a few thousand drinks in the middle of the day as one should at a bachelorette party and I'm getting my booty twerk going and next thing you know, they're like, you got to go. So what happened? Did everybody leave, or were you just, like, out on your own? No, so it turned out that we were all leaving anyway, so it was, like, perfect timing. (laughs) You're like, keep me out. I'm leaving. I got kicked out of a bar. Well, one time was for someone else, but I was, like, part of their group, so I got kicked out. But one time it was just me by myself, and it was right before I moved to New Orleans. I was drunk as shit in my old neighborhood bar in Oakland. And I, like, I'm so mad because I had actually bought the security guard a drink. And then, like, less than 30 minutes later, I was, like, outside. I mean, I was super drunk, and I, like, stumbled, and he wouldn't let me back in. And I was like, I just bought you a drink, motherfucker. Like, fuck you. That's the bullshit. And then went to my friend's house and just fell asleep on his couch. What else? I, um, should we do the wine review? Should yeah. Should we just fucking go? Let's just do okay. it. So I, t- very exciting things are afoot in this wine review because I'm drinking red, which I think I've only done one other time. 
and I'm also drinking organic wine, which makes me feel like a fucking hippie. It is called it. Oh, and it's in a box. So it is box red wine called Pure Red Badger Mountain. 2017 and it's just red wine so i guess it's just like a blend or too poor to put it on the box but it's good i'm happy with that see you're bringing it back to episode one again when i had the boxed wine well you better have like canned wine or some shit <laughs> <laughs> I can't. I, fucking can't. I have a can Oh my god! It's like it's an acid it trip moment. Again. <laughs> it's all circling back, man. I'm not drinking wine because I didn't have time to pick any up, but I did somehow make it home from Tahoe with what the white girls enjoy: White Claw. I don't know. Tell me. Okay, so I don't drink White Claw, but we were with a bunch of friends from Oregon who they were there's literally like seven of them and we were with them for like four days they took out like 800 white claws that weekend it was just like pack after pack after pack like not one person drank one thing other than white claw the entire time we're in Tahoe so that was the first time I ever heard of it and somehow I smuggled one home which I literally don't know how that happened but I came home from Tahoe and had a white claw in my purse so here I am but it's called a hard seltzer, and it's basically like a spiked sparkling water, and then they'll have like a hint of a flavored. This one's lime, but to me, it just tastes like a vodka soda with lime. Nice. It's pretty good, Classic. and I think it's like five percent alcohol, oh. which is like drinking a beer though. Right. So it's not too low. Is that all you have? Is that one can? I have a fifth of vodka in my kitchen. Oh, thank God. I was like, <laughs> I'm definitely going to outdrink you. I'm starting with the can, though. It's warming up, guys. Um, I really like it. Like, if this is kind of something that I feel like you drink during the day, like when you're at the pool or the beach. Yeah. Because, like, you know, beers get really heavy. Yeah. And, like, you, I can't drink 700 beers. Same. I can drink 700 White Claws, though. Like, they're Watch. lighter... It's, like, sparkling water. There's, like, no calories in them. They're, they're fucking bomb. So... Well, is it actually... Is it... Well, and that's what's great about, like, any soda or tonic drink is, like... I'm trying to justify alcoholism right now. But you're hydrating as you're getting drunk. Yes. And, and then you have the lime, so you're not going to get scurvy. Yeah. So... So you I, should look for these. Okay. White It's, like, claw. a good outdoor summer drink. Or the other one's called Truly. I like those ones, too. Okay, so you I think you told me about those, but I haven't seen them in New Orleans. So, quick note on where I'm recording. So, I'm quote-unquote house-sitting for a friend of a friend, which basically just means he was like, yeah, you can come into my house and use my pool. I don't care. Um, his dog isn't even here. Somebody else has his dog, but he's like, yep. He does have a puppy cam, though, so he could be watching this entire recording. <laughs> so, Azul, if you're out there. His name is Azul. Yes, his name is Azul. Of and course, he's a of course. certified Reiki practitioner, but actually has like a real job now and has a really cute loft. But anyway, their pool is like banging. And this is Denver for you, like lots of young professionals. This fucking complex has 
a foosball, t- like a brand new foosball table, like billiards. What's shuffleboard? Is that what it's called? Where you at the uh, bar where they have the little it's like bocce ball? It? Yeah, 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 yeah. Shuffleboard. They have that. They have like hammocks by the pool. How Their much is pool rent is there? A girl more than I could pay, but really? but I'm staying here for free for the week. So what? Nice. Um, but I just have to share. We can cut this if we want to. But. <laughs> everything he's such a hippie like his directions for everything are hilarious so it's like hey like where's the where's the thermostat he was like oh it's right next to the purple gnome and then i was like oh my god my iphone charger i left it at the other house do you have one he was like yeah it's right above my meditation cushions (laughs) (laughs) i was like i can't and i don't know if you guys will hear you might hear this during the recording so i don't know if this is some like reiki energy healing shit but he has this like device in his room that like every 20 seconds lets out like a like deep sound healing shit so Whoa. You might, yeah this is like next level shit yeah interesting azul baby bull Thank so you. is he an aquarius pisces or gemini Capricorn. Yeah, right. But, okay, so when I found <laughs> yeah, out, so, like, right. I literally met him, like, a week ago, the day after I got here, my friend Sovereign, hi, I hang out with, like, a, Jimmy goes by Sovereign now. It's all, listen, we're in Denver, anything goes. And we, <laughs> so Sovereign and Azul and I were all at the bar, <laughs> and I was, like, t- and he's got this, like, sassiness to him. And I was, like, what is your sign? And he was, like, Capricorn. I was, like, you have to be a Gemini rising. Because he was also being, like, a little dirty. Like, like, little stank stank. And I was, like, you have to be Gemini rising. He was, like, let's find out. And he pulls out, uh, um, he pulls, sorry. Blech. He pulls out his phone and looks up his natal chart. And sure enough, he is a Capricorn sun with a Gemini rising. If you wow. can imagine such a combination. That's yeah. interesting. Uh-huh. Complicated. All right. Cool. Well, that was great. Um, I don't think so. I think we should. So we decided you were going to go. So we have, like, very opposite women, I think, even though we don't know exactly who we picked. But we always give each other a little bit of information so we don't pick the same woman. But we decided for Melissa to go first because she's got the hoe. Da ho, da ho, da ho. And I've got kind of like an angelic woman, so I'll be drunk by the time we get to her, and it'll be funnier. Okay. I'm setting two more sips of my white claw. Get a girl. My like microphone keeps like going flaccid. Like it keeps like. That's what I was telling you earlier. That's what mine's doing. Probably because we got the cheapest microphones on the planet. It won't stay erect. Now that our podcast is older, it's losing its virility. It needs a little more assistance to stay up. You know how it is. All right. Okay. I'm up. Are you ready for this? I'm excited. Y'all ready for this? Okay. So, I have a feeling you actually might know this woman. I think you're going to be fucking stoked. To even learn about her, she's going to become one of your new faves. I already know. Okay. And um, it took all of my life to not tell you about her when you were in Canada. Because okay. when you were in Canada is when I learned about her. Okay. And this little lady is a Canadian. <gasps> I also cover a Canadian. Okay. 
Well, I can guarantee you it's, it's not, not the no, same. It's not the same. It's not the same. Also, your mic's too far. Oh, yeah, because I'm trying to keep it away. Hi, I'm back. But it, you're like, you're like, it's like no sound. But it's fine now. Yeah. Okay. So, on our first episode back, I am covering a very fabulous woman by the name of Margaret Trudeau. As in... As in... The young, free-spirited, and promiscuous First Lady of Canada in 1977, who is also the mother of Justin Trudeau, the current Prime Minister of Canada, and who today is praised for her advocacy of bipolar disorder. (gasps) Can we just take one moment to honor Justin Trudeau's bubble butt? (laughs) God bless it. Thank you. So, I've never heard about Margaret Trudeau until I was listening to a podcast about the Rolling Stones. Did she fuck the Rolling Stones? More on that later. (gasps) (laughs) All right. So, here's the story of her life. Margaret was born in 1948 in Vancouver, Canada, and she was one of five daughters And in her own words, she described herself as a highly sexualized teenager who drove a 1966 Beetle, smoked pot, and took mescaline. In 1967, at 19 years old, she went on a family trip to Tahiti and she met a charming older man named Pierre Trudeau, who was 29 years her senior. She described him as intelligent and an adventurer who had fabulous legs. <laughs> Margaret and Pierre began to secretly date, and in 1971, they eloped to a small church in North Vancouver where the 22-year-old bride married her 51-year-old husband while carrying a bouquet of white daisies and wearing a wedding gown she had made herself. <laughs> Margaret and Pierre had three sons together, and their marriage was pretty content, but she found herself very unprepared and blindsided by intrusive press stories about everything from her pregnancies to her wardrobe. The media went, like, completely insane, and it reached its peak when she attended a reception at the White House in 1977 and was practically burned at the stake for wearing a knee-high... No, sorry, for wearing a knee-length cocktail dress, and worse, for having a run in her stockings. So, the Margaret incidents, as they like to call them in the press, became, like, a staple for the media, and they included little articles like the time that she serenaded the first lady of Venezuela with a self-composed tune during a state dinner. Which was deemed the major scandal, but little did people know that she was actually high on hallucinogen peyote, but when that happened. (laughs) And that's, like, something she revealed later in life. Oh, my God. So, like, could you imagine what the scandal would have really been if people had known that? Also, can you imagine being at an important dinner like that and being tripping balls? (laughs) No! That sounds terrible. Sounds horrible! (laughs) 
But I mean, when you'd been doing mescaline since you were a teenager, it's probably fucking nothing, you know? So after the birth of her second son, Alexander, in 1973, Margaret plunged into a bit of a depression. And she had a little bit of an episode. And she fled Canada and took off to Paris and Crete because she was hoping to reconnect with her more, like, footloose side. So, like, although she was a mom and although she was a wife, she – and she actually was a good mother as far as what Justin Trudeau has said in some of his comments about his upbringing – I don't think that was natural to her, so she kind of always had this, like, inkling to, like, be free and kind of just do her own thing. And so, after the birth of her second son, she fell into a depression and kind of took off. Um, she returned back after her little frenzy. She came back to Canada and she attended a celebrity tennis tournament. Or I'm sorry, she came back to Canada, then she went to the States. And she attended a celebrity tennis tournament in New York, where she quickly fell under the spell of Senator Edward Kennedy, which began a pattern of risky affairs with famous and emotionally unavailable men. What is it about the Kennedys, dude? All every woman was like all up on them. Wow. Okay. But she's still with her husband. She's still with her husband. (gasps) Scandal. Yeah. So that was happening. And yet a couple years later, her and Pierre had their third son, and he was born in 1975. And her three sons grew up, like, adoring their mom. And I read a couple, like, things about, like, that Justin had mentioned that, like, yeah, they knew their mom was a free spirit and, like, they knew she had some dark days, but they really loved her. And he was even quoted, like, somebody asked him in an interview once, like, asking him about his relationship with his mom. And he had said that, like, one of the things that she said to him when he was becoming a father he asked her, like, hey, like, what is your number one advice for being a parent? And she had told him something like, you know, being a parent's hard. You're going to make tons of mistakes. But, like, the one thing you can never stop doing is loving your children. Just love them, love them, love them, love them, no matter what. And then he, like, that was, like, the quote or whatever. And then he told the interviewer, like, even though my mom told me that when I was an adult, I had already known that my whole life. So, like, even though she was wild and crazy and kind of had episodes and took off here and there, like, as bad as that can sound, her kids still think of her as, like, this loving, great mom. So she was doing something right. While she was fucking a bunch of shit up, she was somehow, like, maintaining good relationships with them. It was the mescaline, for sure. (laughs) (laughs) So... During this time, she has these three kids, and she's, like, being a mom, being a family lady, but she's still, like, having these fantasies of running away with Kennedy. Like, that's still happening. She's still into it. But she knew it could never happen, and she knew she needed to, like, somehow let it go. And then in March 1977, she decided on a trial separation with Pierre, which she describes as a period that she would later call the two years of mayhem. As if she didn't already have a lot of mayhem. These were the two years of mayhem, which started when Margaret met the Rolling Stones. So, 
The night of her sixth wedding anniversary, Margaret went to Toronto to see the Rolling Stones play at, like, an underground private club. She was dressed in a jumpsuit, and she left her table to go sit at Mick Jagger's feet as he sang and strutted. He publicly denies having any type of actual physical affair with her, but in terms of his bandmates, pretty likely. He he won't admit it, though. Like, he, he like, talked shit on her. Like, he has some type of, like, men, like, some type of di- diary, I don't even know, diary book, and he, like, bashes on her, and it's like, are you allowed to bash on anybody? <laughs> like, what the fuck? Yeah. So he has some beef with her, and he he's like, I wouldn't touch her with a 10-foot pole. Do you think he did it? Probably. He and he's just, like, mad because she didn't love him or something. I think shit. she, like, fucked the rest of the band, too. She was getting around. Her and Stevie Nicks could have tore it up. They, yeah, they could have they done some damage together. Um, so as this was happening, um, a little, like, Tribune magazine called The Daily Mirror, of course, publicized in big, giant block letters on the front, Pierre's wife in Stone's Scandal. Did that stop her? No. She returned the very next day for their second concert and continued on her wild out ways regardless of what the media said or really what anybody said. And there's reports had surfaced that she also hosted a party for the band in her hotel suite. Oh, a party for the band. So an orgy, basically. Yeah. A gangbang. We got a girl. Yeah. So then after that, she retreated home. (laughs) And then she turned up in New York where she hunkered down in the apartment of her socialite friend Yasmin Aga Khan. And as the two of them regularly were out partying the streets together, she kind of built this reputation as like a New York disco it girl, fun, fresh, and fickle. And she decided at this point that she was going to start reinventing herself. So she picked up photography and I guess is apparently considered a pretty well-known Canadian photographer now. Um, So that must have done pretty well for her. She also started going to galleries with Andy Warhol and was like kicking it with him. And she also tried acting, and she even landed a female lead role in a movie called Fil- or Kings and the Desperate Men. And while she was in the film world, who did she happen to meet? Oh, God. Who? Jack Nicholson. Ooh, baby. Yeah. Listen, young Jack Nicholson, I'd be all over that. She met Jack Nicholson in London, where he was filming The Shining. Ooh. And at that time, he was, like, publicly dating another person, but him and her didn't give a fuck, and they hit the sheets and got it on, like, Donkey Kong. And she was quoted to say about Jack Nicholson, to me, he's the example of what a free human being is. He didn't tell any lies. He didn't make any promises. He didn't pretend. He simply was free. He wasn't going to commit to anyone, and he never did word okay and she was apparently down with that jam so in the summer of 1979 she would make what many people considered the biggest mistake of her life 
Oh my god, we're not there yet? No, we're not there yet. She granted an interview to Playgirl magazine, which resulted in a largely incoherent Margaret recounting the time that she had an abortion at 17 years old and that she'd once spent eight hours sitting in a tree high on mescaline and that she was now in love with a singer named Lou Rawls, said out loud in her interview, he just wants to take good care of me. Oh, and I am so much in love with that idea. Do you think we could have beautiful chocolate-colored daughters together? <gasps> Maggie, what are you doing, baby girl? And then the worst part, on top of all of that, which happened like right around the exact same time this interview went down, was that Pierre was literally like, like office was happening, like the votes were coming in. It was like the eve of the election or whatever. And she was caught, photographed, seen dancing her ass away at Studio 54 on the night that he lost his bid for re-election. Oh, my God. They were still married. So shit was kind of going out of control. (laughs) And the media obviously took that and ran with it. And it was vicious. And they humiliated her. And it was horrible. So she fled back to Canada and back to her children, where she went into a reclusive seclusion Like, hoping to God that if I just hide and ride this out, it'll all go away. But it didn't. Um, It Like, the next two decades after that, she basically was still in, like, a complete social hideout. Uh, Her and Pierre divorced. She ended up remarrying a German real estate entrepreneur named Fried or Fred Kemper. She had two more children named Kyle and Alicia, and she basically was just, like, in a forever depression. Like, she was, like, not mentally healthy. She was, like, not okay. She was on Prozac. Then she went off Prozac. Then she got busted for pot. Then she had a miscarriage. Then her second husband went bankrupt. She ended up in a mental hospital for more than two months. She was in a straitjacket. Like, shit hit the fucking fan. But this brings us to our next point about Margaret, is that nobody knew how vulnerable she was because for most of her life, she had hidden a terrible, terrible secret, even from herself, that she was suffering with bipolar disorder. It was undiagnosed and untreated, and it is what basically led her to spiral into depression, and which would, like, create these manic you know, episodes of just, like, going wild and crazy and then, like, coming back and being normal again and then falling into depression and then going wild and crazy and it was just, like, this vicious cycle that was, like, on repeat. And the problem is that, like, nobody in the media really knew that. They just always saw her as this, like, free-spirited, young, wild child, beautiful first lady of Pierre, and she was so fun, and people, like, really did love her. Like, they really valued her and thought she was great. But, like, behind the scenes, she was, like, really struggling with mental illness, and she just kept it a secret, and she didn't do anything about it. In the fall of 1998, Margaret Trudeau officially hit rock bottom when she found out in October of that same year 
that her son, Michelle, or Michael, I don't know how you pronounce it, who is the youngest son between her and Pierre, he had gone on a ski trip with some friends, and he stopped at her house, told her that he loved her, got in his car, and he drove off, and a few weeks later, the police knocked on her door, and they told her the devastating news that there had been an accident. And the accident was that an avalanche went down the glacier and they swept him away into the icy lake below and his body was never recovered. Oh, no. Maggie, baby girl. And less than two years later, her ex-husband Pierre also died. Which, even though they had a pretty shitty marriage and shit hit the fan, she still considered him somebody that she had very much loved, and it was equally as devastating. So, after those two deaths, there were two more hospital stays, another straitjacket, and she was in a mental institution, and at one point, another patient in there one time cracked a joke, pointed a finger at her, and said to another person... You see that lady over there in the corner crying? She thinks she's Margaret Trudeau. (laughs) Because literally nobody believed it was her, and they just thought she was a crazy person pretending to be Margaret. So, shit was shitty, and she needed help. So, um, in 2006, she was finally officially diagnosed with bipolar disorder, which was determined to be a mental illness she had been living with her entire life undiagnosed. And since she has been diagnosed and has been taking care of herself and getting, like, stabilized and healthy, she has now devoted the remainder of her life to advocating for reducing the social stigma of mental illness, particularly bipolar disorder, And she does lots of different speeches across North America, um, many of which she's extremely candid in about her own experience. She tells very genuine, authentic stories about how wild and crazy she was and some of the fucked up shit she did because she really just wants to be honest about her experience living with bipolar disorder, specifically how it affected her when she was undiagnosed and not treated. And, um, in 2000, May of 2019, she was presented the one woman show, which was called Certain Woman of an Age, and that was in Chicago as part of the city's Wellness Week, and she is an honorary patron of the Canadian Mental Health Association. She is also the honorary president of Water Aid Canada, which is an organization dedicated to helping the poorest communities in developing countries build sustainable water supply and sanitation services. And in 2013, she received an honorary degree of Doctors of Laws from University of Western Ontario in recognition for her work to combat mental illness. She also wrote a book, which is called Changing My Mind, and it's a book about her personal experience with bipolar disorder. And at her book signing, there was a line of almost all women wrapped around the street, around the corner, down the fucking hood, and several of those women waited for more than an hour to get an autograph, a selfie, and just the chance to tell her that they admire her, and most of all, that they love her. Um, she is currently alive and 69 years old, and she is still considered, like, a massive, admired, and well-respected 
woman of Canada, which I know can sound really strange considering her lifestyle choices. Um, but people fucking loved her. Like, you know how people like really loved Princess Diana and she kind of was like known to be a little bit of like up to some shit on the side. Like people, I, I think that's why they love these women. I think like women for one, like Princess Diana, who's in royalty or like president's wives or her, you know, being married to this like older prime minister, like these women are meant to fill a certain role. And when they don't, lots of people hate it, but lots of people admire it because yeah. like they just become real humans. They aren't this like ideal, perfect vision of what the perfect person in society should be. They're like genuine and real and they make mistakes like everybody else. So she's very well liked even to today. And then I just want to end on a couple of quotes that I really love about her. One of them is that she says, which you and I can very much relate to, and probably other listeners of the podcast, is, quote, I took to marijuana like a duck to water. Yes. Her other quote that I love is, I'm not defined by the men I sleep with. Okay. And her third and best quote, which I feel, (laughs) I just think is the funniest thing on earth. She said, I ran off with the Rolling Stones. I could have just as easily run off with one of the guys from the 7-Eleven. Especially if he was handing out free taquitos. Listen. Listen. And then the last quote I wanted to end on, which I think is the most important, is um, something she had mentioned in an interview in regards to her mother. And she had said that her mother did not want her to see a psychiatrist because, quote, oh, Margaret, psychiatrists only blame the mother, which I think is a really great way to end because I think that is the main takeaway, not the main, there's many takeaways, but one of the most important takeaways that can really explain Margaret's upbringing, Margaret's life, and how she ended up in the rock bottom hole that she did in her adult years. Because based off that quote, it's clear that her mental health was maybe at question when she was a child or in adolescent years. And her mother chose to not do anything about it because she didn't want to get personal blame for her child having mental illness problems. So therefore, she was undiagnosed, untreated, and went through a roller coaster of the Margaret Trudeau life. I mean, it usually is your mother. You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? Wow. Well, we fucking love Margaret. Wild child turn advocate. Fucking redemption arc. Love it. She's like what Jamie Lannister should have been. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Um, I have like immediate guesses about her sign. Okay. And I have like two and they're a tie and if they're wrong then I have no idea what she is. Okay. So I'm just gonna spread them both out. I'm gonna say Gemini and Sagittarius. <gasps> Swing and a miss. I don't know. Ophelius. 
What's that like extra planet? Is there like an extra planet now? <laughs> I I think like, it actually like, is Ophelia's. Or like but octagon. When you, or when you said Ophelia's, it reminded me. Isn't there some other like Greek god known as Ophelia's who had like? What am I thinking of? <laughs> I'm not in school. I don't know. But no, you're right. There is there's some there's something. She anyway. she is a Virgo. Yeah. I would, I mean, like, it's hard because the bipolar, like, the bipolar, so much of what sounds, like, bipolar, I'm like, is it bipolar or is it Gemini? Like, I don't know. <laughs> so. Yeah, it's hard to, it's hard to pinpoint a Zodiac sign because she was somebody who most of her life choices and behavior was due to mental illness. Right. Which, like, let's be real, astrology's fun. The point of this podcast is for us to drink, talk about women, and guess astrology signs. No one's taking it fucking seriously. So, you know, it's we can't be like, Margaret Trudeau, if only she was a real Virgo, but fuck bipolar. Like, it's just whatever. I live and die by this. <laughs> I don't understand. You know, it's all a Greek math, guys. It's all Greek math. But just to end a little bit, like I had mentioned earlier, um, before we cut out and we had to restart the podcast for the 700th time, I just think it's super important to know that... When I had learned about her in the Rolling Stones podcast and thought she was a fucking incredible, crazy, wild child, and I couldn't wait to cover her, and then I explored her story and was like, ooh, shit, ooh, not sure if people are going to like Margaret Trudeau, she doesn't have the best, you know, reputation, she's done some shady shit, she might not have been the best wife or mother, she wasn't the perfect icon, But then learning more about her mental illness and how that truly was, like, a direct reflection of her actions and how, like, the message it can be spreading to know that, like, undiagnosed and untreated illnesses can result in these types of lifestyle choices and behaviors. I mean, I think that's an important message to take home for anybody that... Margaret shouldn't be judged as, like, some scandalous, crazy psychopath. Like, she should be viewed as somebody who struggled with mental illness from a very young age. It wasn't taken seriously by her family. She got married way too young to an older man who probably enjoyed the fun, spunky, crazy side to her. She ended up in this political world she couldn't handle. She was in the spotlight. The media hated her. Like, all of these things were the worst recipe for a young girl Living with mental illness. Yeah. It's like, what did you fucking think was going to happen? Right. And so I I hate to think of Margaret Trudeau as like a villain or like a bad woman that we covered. I think what we need to take away from this is how important it is to take mental health seriously and to erase any type of stigma around it because people do need to get help and they should do it without feeling shameful. Word on that. And also like... Yeah, she might have been, like, a little bit of a floozy, but it's not like she didn't do anything. She didn't, like, kill anybody. You know what I mean? Like, she didn't She didn't go YouTube engineer on LSD on anyone. Like, you know, like, I she's mean, not a bad person. Literally, listening to everything I explained about her story, like, yes, that is a woman that experienced um, phases of manic depression. She went through, like, she would be normal, and then she'd get really depressed. And then she'd skyrocket high and go completely nuts into a manic rage. Then she'd come back, and she'd be kind of normal again. And it just, like, cycle repeated. Yeah. 
And that's what's like so insidious about bipolar specifically is that when you're on, people love you. They're like, yes, you're so fun. You're so blah, 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 blah. And I feel like that, whereas if you're just like depressed all the time, people can be like, oh, there's something wrong with you. Like you're, you know, it's like you swing like that. It's harder. It sounds like it was deliberately ignored, but it's also like easier to miss when you're swinging from one side to the other. Yeah. Um, And so much of, like, yeah, so much of what you said about her did kind of remind me of Princess Di. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I know. And sorry, everybody. I actually covered Princess Di once. And we were blackout (laughs) in Seattle. And CJ didn't let us upload the recording. I Yeah, I was really angry in that recording, and I'm not sure why. And you were just (laughs) fucking hammered. Just, like, barfing, literally barfing, (laughs) spilling wine, getting up and walking away from the microphones. We actually have two unreleased episodes. We have another one on top of that. We tried to record two episodes in one day once, and we were like, yeah, we can't ever do that again. Because by the second episode, we're like, here's some facts. (laughs) We were so fucking over it. so (laughs) boring. Oh, and then one last thing. If anybody's at all interested in hearing the Rolling Stones version of Margaret Trudeau, I highly suggest it, because that's where I learned about her, and it turned out that the episode about the Rolling Stones really ended up being an episode about Margaret Trudeau, and that is the best part about the episode so if you want to hear it the podcast is called Disgraceland, and they do short little 45 minute episodes about different musicians and there's one about the rolling stones and they do a really great job introducing margaret trudeau like they didn't talk about her badly like they were just like this woman was the fucking shit she was fucking doing crazy it girl shit in canada and the rolling stones were so stoked to be chilling with her like it was cool so check it out and that's Margaret Trudeau. Mick Jagger, quit hating, bruh. Yeah, fuck you, Mick Jagger. I mean, listen, the Rolling Stones are cool, whatever, but, like, if we're talking about, like, peak fuckboy status, it's hard to beat Mick Jagger. Seriously. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I also, co- well, I technically am covering a Marguerite, which is basically just French for Margaret, who spent most of her life in Canada. So this is our fucking Canuck episode. <laughs> That's what we should call it. Is that like a, is that a slander? Who cares? No, I think they like calling themselves that. I was gonna say I don't think Canadians get mad about anything. So no, it doesn't matter. They They're so chill. And I I should have mentioned this at the outset. So I'm even drunker than I thought I would be because no joke at elevation you get way more drunk way quicker. So uh-huh, you're just tanked. Whatever, bitch. Cha. <laughs> I literally am covering a nun. (laughs) That laugh, girl. I'm going to make that my ringtone for you. Uh, As I said at the outset, this is why I'm going second and I'm a little bit drunk because I think her story is going to maybe pale in comparison. (laughs) But it's fine. All right. So let me tell you how I wound up talking about this hoe. So, while I was in Canada and you were reading up on your girl, I was touring very old and very sophisticated buildings in Montreal. And I ended up going to this place um, called the Congregation of Notre Dame. I ended up, like, touring their museum, 
which like it just kind of got a wild hair up my ass it was like raining outside and i didn't want to go out in the rain i was like yeah it's like five bucks to look at this church museum like i don't give a fuck it's something weird to do but they ended up telling the story of this amazing woman who started this congregation literally in the 1600s, which I thought was pretty badass. And I was like, I'm going to cover this girl on our podcast. So today I will be covering Marguerite Bourgeois, Margaret Bourgeois. She was a French Canadian nun. She was the founder of the congregation of Notre Dame, Notre Dame, we'll just say Notre Dame, in Montreal. And she was one of the first Canadian women to be named a saint. Oh, wow. Uh, Yes. And this was her fucking story. She was born in France in 1620. And sticking with one of my many popular themes, she was either the sixth of 12 children or the seventh of 13 children. Either way, fuck that shit. (laughs) So we don't know? We don't know. And I don't know why there are different things. But why, I mean, we know why they had that many babies, because they all died. But again, just imagine... No birth control either. 12 children exiting your vagina. I, I mean, they all just start slipping out like rapid fire oh, after disgusting. three. Disgusting. So, she was born to like a kind of, not a well-to-do, but like middle class as far as the 1600s goes. She like knew how to read and write. She went to church and all that jazz. And at age 20... During a religious procession in France, she has this, like, various spiritual experience, and she decides that God is calling on her to have a religious life. So she's like, cool, sick, I'm going to join, like, a nunnery, it's going to be, it's going to be lit. And then she attempts to join two different cloisters, or, like, none, I don't know why they're called cloisters, but two different cloisters of nuns, and she is denied by both, and I don't know why can't find that information online and then i can't find any information on what happens for the 13 years after she gets rejected but she's just like kicking it in france hanging out at church for 13 years and then (laughs) oh my god it's like that just like it's missing from the historical record and then in 1653 ish the governor of new france which is what we would now call quebec goes out to France to visit his sister, and his sister is a nun at this church that Marguerite's been kicking it at, but that she can't get into. And he meets Marguerite, and he invites her to come out. I almost said fly out. He invites her to take Southwest out to Montreal um, to start a school in what is then called the Marie, but turns into Montreal. She accepts and crosses the Atlantic Ocean on a ship with about 100 other passengers, most of them men. And while they're making the cross, a plague epidemic breaks out on the ship. And she cares for the sick and helps bury the dead. Oh, So when I read that, I was like, so if they're at sea, does that mean she's like throwing bodies overboard? I think that's what that meant. Yeah. So, either way, she survives that journey. But, like, can we just take a moment to thank God for airplanes? Like, crossing the Atlantic Ocean in the 1600s? A decade later, you're, like, ten years older. Hi, we finally made it. We're here. A hundred people have died. We've got a million plagues. Everyone has scurvy and Hashtag no vaccines. (laughs) Oh, God. Where's Jenny McCarthy? So, she, she gets to Montreal... And when she arrives, the colony is less than 200 people. So it's super, super small. And she's offered housing at a convent, but she chooses to stay with the poor settlers. 
And that becomes kind of the model of how she moves through her religious life is that even though she's very religious and she's Catholic, she's super secular in who she helps. So she'll help the natives, quote unquote, the natives, the Canadian Indians. She'll basically help anybody who needs to be helped and she doesn't expect them to read the Bible because she's cool like that. So it takes, no surprise, several years for her to start a school because the colony is only 200 people and the infant mortality rate is like 98%. So she's just like got no children to fucking teach. So for five, like they're just not there. They all died on the boat. So for five years, she's just kicking it in the colony, um, doing whatever she can to kind of like help the settlers out. And then during that time, she manages to gather a work party to build the city's first permanent church, which is called the Chapel of Our Lady of Good Counsel, or in French, it would be called Bon Secours. And she, that's actually, so that building ended up burning down eventually. But the church that I visited while I was in Montreal was literally like built on top of the old church. Um, I don't know how much, maybe like a century later. And when I took the tour, you can actually like go downstairs and you can see some of the very basic structure of the original church. So that was kind of cool. If you're into that shit. No, that is cool. Yeah, super old buildings. We don't have those in America. No, we don't. So it's kind of cool. So finally, in 1658, five years after her arrival, there's enough fucking kids alive that she can establish a school in Montreal. (laughs) And this actually marks the beginning of public schooling in Montreal. Um, And she's like teaching these kids. And then she's like, oh, fuck, I can't do this by myself. There's way too many children. So she goes, she gets back on the ship and goes back to France to go recruit more teachers for her school, which, like, also, can you imagine making that journey multiple times? <laughs> there's no one there that can do it? No, because it's a brand new colony. <sighs> so there's, like, and everybody's died of scurvy, and nobody's alive. So she she's like, I'm going to just take the 18 years it takes to go back across the ocean. I'm going to do that real quick. She brings other women back, and... This is actually kind of cool, and this is one of the reasons I wanted to cover her. So during this time, because they were basically just trying to, like, pump up the population of the colony, there were these women that were called filles du roi, which is basically the, quote-unquote, the king's daughters, and they were basically orphan girls that, like, they essentially were sending out to the colonies to breed. They basically were like, you don't have any parents, you don't have any future, you're going to go and fuck some dude and, like, start a family in this place. Oh, God. Which is, like, disgusting. So she managed to, like, bring some of those women into her care and basically, like, save them from a life of, like, bonded marriage by letting them become a part of this this teaching congregation that she has going on. And she teaches them how to read and how to write and basically how to teach these children. So she's not only trying to help the settlers, she's also pretty strategically singling out these women who otherwise might have had, like, a really miserable life and being like, hey, come here, girl. Like, fuck that shit. You ain't got to do that. You're going to come with me. Um, so she ends up going back 18,000 years later across the Atlantic Ocean back to Quebec, back to Montreal. 
And they basically start building an all-female teaching social worker community. So she eventually goes on to establish a completely Indian school, which might sound kind of like want-want to us now, but it was actually a super big deal. And similar to the United States, Canada also has a super complicated relationship with their native population. There was a lot Mm -hmm. of, like, not cool shit that went down. So she very early on was kind of breaking the mold in that way. And her convent basically becomes this tribe of, like, badass bitches. And they would go out to the surrounding towns to educate people, not only teaching children how to read and write, but also teaching, with her theme of, like, empowering women, teaching women vocational skills, whether it was, like, needlework or other things that they could do to make money off of, to bring income into their households, maybe support themselves. So for whatever reason, this is, like, a big piece of her life is just making sure that like women and girls are educated and empowered and this was not a this was like a huge deal so montreal has like crazy winters Mm -hmm. like like midwest level six months a year total arctic tundra shit so for them to like be going out to the surrounding villages they were actually like risking their lives it was not easy they didn't have cars again the 1600s get it together guys so it was a big deal um So her congregation continues to grow, and it's not, even though they have a church, even though they're basically functioning as nuns, they're not officially recognized by the crown as a a cloister of nuns. And keep in mind, like, she was rejected decades ago from two different cloisters, and so she's always, like... Is that the term? Cloister? So I tried to, like, look up what the difference between all these things are, but then I got bored, and I stopped looking. (laughs) So I think, like, a nunnery and a cloister are the same thing, but cloisters are supposed to be, like, it's almost like a monastery. You don't really leave. You don't go out and do that social work that she was doing. You just fucking hang out and pray with each other all day long. Oh, God. Yeah, exactly. She was imagine being a nun? No. No. Like, you just are in meditation and prayer, like, 18 hours a day, and then the rest of the time you're, like, cleaning. Actually, sounds all right. You know what? Like, you basically... (laughs) You know what what nunnery? Like, to me, when I think of nun, all I hear is having no job, free rent, and making a salary. Exactly. Right. Like, you just... You literally, like... I don't want to say you do nothing all day, but, like, you ain't got to work. You know what I mean? And, like, you just... You have to buy clothes because you have the same outfit. Love laundry, probably. And you know what? If you're a lesbian, you just won the lottery. So there that is. (laughs) All right. This is devolving very quickly. So so she's, like, riding hard to get... I think it's, like, still sitting on her spirit that she be part of an official cloister. So she's riding hard on the crown, like, sending letters on these ships being like hey bro like let me let me start this cloister over here and then they keep like they're like good job on your efforts but no nah, like we cool like you ain't with it like that so then this bitch <laughs> then this bitch goes across the atlantic ocean again for the third the fourth time in her life to go meet to go meet with the king of france and it's like listen fool like i have made this journey a million times you need to just make me a fucking nun and then he's like, all right, all right, all right, all right, all right, all right. So finally, in, hang on. Okay. So finally, in 1678, so that is a full 50 years, she's 50 years old, finally the king of France is like, 
I'd, I guess, your congregation. So her congregation is officially and permanently established, and the sisters professionally vow their life to the service of God, just like Margaret Trudeau. In other words, 48 years after she's rejected by two separate convents, she goes ahead and starts her own shit and becomes the head of it. Like, long, long game, but fuck she wins. Yeah. She's like, fuck you, I got it. And I don't just sit and pray all day. I fucking go help women. I teach them how to be. You're welcome, motherfuckers. And I did it in a whole new world, so suck these titties. Direct quote. So. <laughs> Direct quote. <laughs> Her congregation continues to grow throughout the 1680s. Um, but again, just want to stress, like, they're still considered really secular and kind of outside of the norm because they're just out doing work instead of praying all day long. They're known as educators and social workers. In 1692, they open a school in Quebec that caters specifically to girls from poor families. And she stays on as the figurehead of her, I guess mine's going to be kind of short. She stays on as the figurehead of her congregation until 1693 and basically spends the last seven years of her life just hanging out and praying. Like she's just kicking it. And she dies. What is there to pray about like for 16 years? I don't, I mean, honestly, if you met me, that's like 35 years of prayer right there. (laughs) You can ask my mom, but. She dies peacefully and in prayer on January 12th, 1700, at the age of 79, which is like 120 years old by those standards. <laughs> yeah. Because she prayed all day. And you know why? Because she never fucked with men. She, she just never, basically. Yeah, she never fucked with men. Mm-hmm. She didn't have to pay rent. She didn't have to pay Uber fees. <laughs> yeah. She never had to drive a car across the Atlantic Ocean. (laughs) She had it so easy. It just makes perfect sense. Um, But just want to, this is so short, but just want to wrap up her legacy. Of course, as I said 18 times, is as an educator and social worker who went beyond the expectations of the nuns of her time and who was denied access time and time again, but with patience and persistence ended up creating the spiritual community that she wanted in the vision that she had with her at the fucking head. And she, like, to me, the reason I wanted to cover her on the podcast was both because she, like, struck out and did things on her own, but also because women were so central to the work that she was doing. And she really, like, made it a point to empower these women and young women and young girls and Indian girls and indigenous girls. Like, she straight didn't give a fuck. She's like, everybody come get the good word. Um, the Congregation of Notre Dame, the Congregation de Notre Dame, I'm really bad, still holds services. I attended one. Her sisters continue their work all over the world. And in 1982, on Halloween, Pope John Paul II canonized Marguerite Bourgeois, making her the first female Canadian to become a saint. Very ironic they did that on the Day of the Dead. Right. Well, the Halloween Day of the Dead. Right. Um, and that's her story. Very fast, not nearly as exciting as Margaret. I liked it. But so when I was, so when you go to the museum, this part I had to tell you guys. So they have like four different exhibit rooms, and some of them are cool, and some of them are like made in the 60s. And the one that was made in the 60s is literally like these dioramas, which, like, don't get me wrong, a bitch loves a diorama. 
but they were like made with these really creepy like dolls and like the nuns it was kind of cute though like the nuns it was like this huge project that the nuns undertook and it was like 36 different dioramas with these creepy dolls like showing different stages of her life weird it was it was weird and i also was like i mean again what are you gonna do when you're a nun yeah and i just imagine like all these sweet little nuns like like getting together hammering away and decorating these little dolls um kind of creepy but kind of cute and uh and that's the story of marguerite bourgeois one of the very first canadian saints the first female canadian saint if you count her as canadian even though she was french born an all-around badass bitch like basically like an entrepreneurial nun she's kind of like grace o'malley but jesus yeah kind of (laughs) yeah and for some reason i don't know why i was also thinking of um fuck what was her name the girl who was the opera singer and the bisexual fencer. Ah, the French. I just covered her two oh, months ago. She had a weird name. That's why I, I feel so bad that. I, but for some reason, I thought about both of them, even though she was like the Jesusy version. She was like, "Fuck this! I'm getting on a ship and I'm doing what I want." Well, yeah, she rocked enough ships like Grace O'Malley. That's for sure. I also think, like, she clearly was chosen by God if she took four full-ass trips across the Atlantic Ocean and didn't die. Yeah. And was, like, around all these plagued people and shit. Yeah. Right. Weird. That's crazy. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. I do have a Zodiac guess. Okay. Is she a Capricorn? No. Interesting. You might be. Maybe. Relentless pursuit seemed very Capricorn y. Yes, that makes sense. And she's also. I would I would focus more on her like straight don't give a fuckness. Sad ma- close. Aries. Yes. Ah Aries was yes. gonna be my second guess. Yes. So her birthday was I can't believe it's even recorded. God bless the Catholics. April seventeenth, sixteen twenty. Wow. I would have guessed Sag, I think, just because Sag is straight, don't give a fuck, and they'll, like, go against authority, no problem. I don't think Sages care about people that much, though. But I was going to say, Aries have, like, a well-balanced Aries has a slant towards, like, justice and, and social good. So, makes sense. I think her as a fire sign makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so I hung out in her in her little church. That's so weird. How was going to church there? It was, I mean, it's beautiful. It's like a European cathedral. Um, so they had like a gigantic organ playing and like the frescoes on the ceiling and the walls. Like it was really, really pretty. Did they just um, like repeat a lot of like the same prayers over and over and over and over and over again? Well, yeah, and it's all in French because oh. it's Montreal. Ty was just like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> You're like, oh, that one really spoke to me. That's my boring-ass nun. It was not boring. (laughs) It was pretty damn good. But I feel, yeah, I don't know. I feel like you have to kind of, like, I feel like I didn't do it her justice. Like, being in the building and kind of, like, listening to the way they talked about. Because the tour really emphasized, like, her trying to uplift women. Yeah. that's So that, like, seems to really be a part of her legacy. And also just, like, her willingness to go outside the bounds of what was normal. Mm. And not give up on her fucking dream. Like, I would have given up on that days ago. I would have given... Uh, I would have jumped off the boat. 
Yeah, I would have been like, oh, I didn't get, I got, like, that's basically, like, getting rejected from two colleges. I'd have been like, I'm done. Like, I'm not gonna go. Yeah. <laughs> it's also, not like, meant for me. fuck them for rejecting her so many times. Like, how many people are dying to be in the convent? <laughs> well, like, that's an interesting question, though. Because if you think about the time, I would rather be a nun or, like, a pirate. As a woman, like, the only way you could not wife up was to, like, do those two things. <laughs> be a pirate or a nun. So maybe okay, that's well, which one though. I feel like I would in my early years I'd probably be a pirate and then I'd retire as a nun. <laughs> you know? They like, wouldn't get, take you in after all those pirate scandals. <laughs> get my hoedays out of my system <laughs> and then like renounce it, be like, uh Maybe that was why they didn't take her. Maybe they were like, You ain't sin enough to be in here, girl. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah. So uh, I don't, I have no idea why they rejected her. And there is no record of what she did for like the 13 years after that. So maybe, I mean, like, hey, maybe she was hoeing it up. <laughs> Let me know. stop. Let me stop. God bless. Rest in peace, baby girl. And that is Marguerite Bourgeois. Okay. So weird that we both covered Marguerite in the Canadian area. I know. I, we have strange. to, we have to, I want to call this like the Canuck episode. I want to call it a bunch of things. Okay. I want to call it like Margaritaville takes, <laughs> takes Canucks. That's great. Uh, maple Margaritaville. Uh, yeah. There's also a, I like I don't know if I should tell you this because it's a spoiler, but I'm probably going to cover Canadian next time too. We this is our third Canadian. We did Viola Desmond. She was our first Canadian. Was she our very first? I think so. Well, look at fuck. And this was our, I think, our first Aries. No. Or our, sec- or our second. We had another Aries. I don't remember who. But I remember, like, that was a sign we covered the least. Yeah. Not I think the, I think the Aries was a villain, whoever it was. Duh. Yeah. <laughs> and, and then we, look. And we covered a nut. Lit. Don't complain, Aries. We got you. <laughs> she was a nun. She was a nun. You covered a villain and a nun. God bless her. The difference between like a high and low level Aries. <laughs> so we are, we're back and we're already taking another break. But just kidding. We're skipping just one week because Melissa's going to be booty popping. I'm going to Minneapolis and Oregon in the same week. Uh, Minneapolis is fun, but you won't have time to have fun. No, I won't. It's very cute. But I'm going to be getting drunk in Oregon. So then I don't know what day. I can't do math. So we'll be back on the 29th. Something along those lines. Yeah. We'll be back before July ends. How about that? Cool. I we like that. We will be back the 29th. You are good at math. Who knew? <laughs> Not me. <laughs> Well, thanks for tuning in. You guys have no idea how much technical issues and frustration went into this episode. Yeah. It was a shit show. So you better enjoy it. This has been like a four-hour ordeal. Yeah, we we completed a one-hour episode in four hours. Yeah. <laughs> fucking killing it, guys. Well, until next time, peace out. Email us, mimosasisterhood.gmail.com. You don't, so Yeah, whatever. we didn't get one email in the whole two months we were on summer break. Fuck Wow, you. God. All, the only email we got was our bill for this cast software program. Thanks. Clearly you weren't into us, so it's fine. 
Sisterhood at gmail.com at Sisterhood on Instagram. Except when people do email us, we have never once responded. Yes, we have. <laughs> right? I don't know. Anyway, good night. Good night. Bye. Bye. Bye.